We start a new series today about why Jesus came. And what I want to see in this series is um, the purpose behind his coming. And a lot of times when we talk about Jesus' birth, we may share that story from the perspective of Mary and Joseph, or maybe from the shepherds, or maybe King Herod, or, or others that are part of that narrative. But I want to, for the next several weeks, think about this from heaven's perspective. Why would God create a world that would need His Son to come and die for all of us? I want to invite you to go behind the scenes with me and find the meaning that's all wrapped up in the coming of Jesus. What was God thinking? What was the purpose? What was the plan? Because I think it was impossible for Mary and Joseph to understand all of that, even as they were experiencing it. I don't think the shepherds grasped the whole concept of what was happening, even though they were right there as it was happening. So for the month of December, I want us to say the questions today, why did Jesus come? In two weeks, we'll ask, who is Jesus? And then the next week, Christmas morning, we're going to talk about what does Jesus offer? And there is one book in the New Testament, in fact, one chapter, Colossians chapter 1, that answers all three of these questions. And that's where we're going to camp out for the next several weeks. So open your Bibles to Colossians 1. And I want us to look at this passage. Just by way of background, so we can kind of understand who Paul is writing to originally. This city that he is originally writing this letter to was a very wealthy town. It was right next to Laodicea. It was also an affluent town. So you've got this very affluent area. And what we know is that sometimes that can breed cynicism. Or people, when they get discouraged because they realize wealth is not giving them the purpose and meaning they thought it would, they start looking at all kinds of things, all kinds of beliefs. And that's what was happening in first century Colossae. They didn't understand. In fact, they kind of forgot or were having a hard time believing why Jesus came. In fact, there were groups who were departing from the gospel. Now, there are a lot of things at play, but just very quickly, I want to tell you about two groups that Paul definitely was working to help them understand better. One group was known as the Gnostics. You may have studied this before. Gnosticism believed that all matter was evil. Anything physical was evil. If you could touch it, then it was evil. And that only the spiritual was good. Mark Driscoll describes them this way. In the earliest days of the Christian church, it was the Gnostics who sought to upgrade biblical truth with cultural trends. So that thinking that was among that area was being brought into the church. And so the same thing. And so if everything that is physical is evil, how could Jesus come in the flesh? Surely we have that story wrong. Maybe we've got some of the details wrong. So they tried to make the gospel more heavenly and less earthly. More spiritual and less physical. So you've got the Gnostics on one side. Now that's not all of them and all that they believe, but that's the gist of them. The other group that was a problematic at the time were the Judaizers. These are the ones whose history was in, Jew, in, 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 the, in Judaism, And they wanted to continue with that. They wanted to accept Jesus, but also keep the law. So they loved Jesus, but they wanted to make sure you kept the law of Moses as well. And so their emphasis then was more on behavior, more on rule keeping. And Jesus was not the emphasis of their faith. Bob Russell said it like this. When you become a Christian, you're not just handed a Bible, a code of behavior to obey in your own strength. You're also given the Holy Spirit 
to live within you, who will transform your old nature and enable you to live according to God's will. But the Judaizers didn't think that way. They didn't believe that way. They thought that they emphasized the rules more than the Spirit. So what Paul was dealing with, this area, and why he wrote the letter, was this conglomeration of, of, of Greek philosophy, a religious smorgasbord. And what was happening is the true simple gospel was getting squeezed out. And they needed a reminding of who Jesus was and why Jesus came. And so that's the purpose of the letter. Chip Ingram says that what you ended up was people who denied the deity of Christ. Because since he came in the flesh, he must be evil. And he couldn't be from God. So many of the Colossian people were getting confused with all these different ways of thinking. They didn't understand why Jesus came. They didn't believe that he came in the flesh. But we do. That God sent him in the flesh because as the writer of Hebrews explained, that he was tempted in all points just as we are. And remained pure, without sin. But these Judaizers, they emphasize their religiosity, their rules, and their skewed beliefs were, were going to undermine the church in that day. And the same with the Gnostics. If that way of thinking would permeate the church and continue, then they would believe anything and everything. And they were looking for meaning and significance. And so they would look for it in all the wrong places. They'd get caught up in social causes, in political movements, or just turn to spiritualism for some kind of direction and purpose. So Paul writes to tell them and remind us as well that Jesus is the only hope. Jesus is the one who gives us purpose and fulfillment. Your life is not to be a meaningless journey to nowhere. Just as every string in a tapestry serves a purpose. God has a meaning for each of us to be a part of his kingdom. And that begins with turning your life over to Jesus Christ. He's the one who gives us the way of salvation. It's based on him Jesus is the only one who died a substitutionary death on the cross. And we trust in Him. It's because of what He did for us that we want to do for others. And we think of that especially this time of year. A lot of giving, a lot of opportunities. I hope you will be a part of the winter harvest and, and to bless some child. If not through this program, some other type of program. I hope you'll find somebody to bless through the holiday season. But let me tell you something. Jesus did not come... Just so that you and I would be reminded to be generous and kind for one month out of the year. He wants us to live this 24-7, 365 days a year. To be an ambassador on his, uh, on his behalf. To let people know that we believe the good news. The Christianity is not an allegiance to a moral code. It's following a person who came in the flesh who lived and died for us. Look at Ephesians 2, verses 8 and 9. You're probably very familiar with this verse. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by work, so that no one can boast. So let's jump into our text. Colossians chapter 1. And I want you to see here what's going to be our theme for these next couple of weeks. Beginning verses 12 through 14 for today. Colossians 1, 12 through 14. Giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in the kingdom of light. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. What I want you to realize today, there are four reasons why Jesus came. If you've got your outline, you may have seen those are going to be the blanks. 
and they're really right out of the text, right here in this short paragraph in Colossians chapter 1. Why did he come? Well, number one, he came to qualify you. He came to qualify you. Look at verse 12. Giving thanks to, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you. Now, I looked this verse up in, in several translations. That's the NIV on the screen. But almost every translation uses that word qualified. But we don't usually think of that as being a spiritual word. We think of redemption. We think of justification. We think of sanctification. But why would Paul use this word qualify? What does it mean when you're qualified? I think we know what it means. If you ever gone to uh, apply for a loan, you know you have to qualify. The lender wants to know if you're a safe risk, if you're going to pay it back. They want to know if you qualify to borrow the money you're asking for. They're going to base that decision on things like, do you pay your bills on time? What's your overall debt load? What is your character? Are you able to hold a stable job? Is your income consistent? Those are the kind of things they're going to look for to see if you qualify for that loan. And if you do, they're going to use that very word. You're qualified. You qualify for this amount. And maybe even say you're approved. When you accept Jesus Christ as the Lord of your life, when you commit to following Him completely, you repent of your sins, you have them washed away in baptism, something happens. The God of creation qualifies you. He approves you. Now, that's important because He looks at you and says, She's mine. He's mine. They belong to me. And the reason why it's important is to know that you're qualified, even though we don't use that word much, even though it's in Scripture, because Satan understands that word and will do people to think they're not qualified. I'm too messed up. It's too far gone. There's no hope for me. Basically, they're saying, I'm not qualified. I'm not able to be saved. And that is a lie from Satan. The people believe that. But see, if you didn't need the money, you wouldn't go to the lender asking for the loan. If you didn't need salvation, if you didn't need saving, you wouldn't need a Savior. Look at Ephesians 2, verses 4 and 5. But because of His great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. So you've been qualified even though you don't deserve it. I've been qualified even though I don't deserve it. It's because of the grace of God. Someone make this statement. I don't know who said it first, so I can't give credit. He doesn't call the qualified. He qualifies the called. And we've all been called to follow Jesus. So Jesus came first to qualify you. But secondly, straight from the text, to claim you. Jesus came to claim you. Look at verse 1. He says, we've been named an heir. Verse 12 of chapter 1. We've been qualified to share in the inheritance of the saints in the kingdom of light. To share in the inheritance of the saints in the kingdom of light. What does it mean to be claimed? Well, imagine with me for a moment. You go to the mailbox tomorrow and you get your snail mail out of the box. And it's the usual three-fourths of it is junk mail, sales flyers. Anybody getting a catalog these days? Maybe a bill or two, maybe an early Christmas card. There, maybe they're coming in. And then there's this one envelope. It looks quite official. It's addressed to you personally, not just occupant or resident. 
and you look at the return address and you see it's from an attorney's office. You open the envelope and you're reading the letter and it's addressed to you. And you're wondering, why am I getting a letter from this attorney? And the, the letter is inviting you to come to the office on a certain day and time for an appointment because there's going to be a reading of a will that a distant relative of yours before he passed away has named you an heir. Now your first thought is, you bet your bottom dollar I'm going to be there on that day and time. And your next thought is, I wonder how much this is going to be. Because it might greatly impact your life. But notice it's not because of how good you are. It's how generous this relative is. Look at Ephesians chapter 1. More of this inheritance talk. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 13 and 14. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. Now listen to this. Having believed, you were marked in Him with the seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance with the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of His glory. So that's another reason why Jesus came, that you could be an heir. Well, there's a third reason, and it's in verse 13. It says, For He has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son He loves. So third, Jesus came to rescue you. Rescue from what? From darkness. Paul uses the, the phrase from the dominion of darkness. And don't you love that wording? That phrase, the way he expresses it there. Because there are people who will do things in the darkness they would never do in the light of day. It's the reason why Satan is called the prince of darkness. I want to call your attention to a verse in Jude. Verse 22 and 23. We don't talk about a lot, but look at the admonition here. Be merciful to those who doubt. Snatch others from the fire and save them. To others show mercy mixed with fear. Hating even the clothing stained by corrupted flesh. He uses the phrase, snatch others from the fire. Obviously a direct reference to hell. And the message paraphrases that by saying, go after those who have taken the wrong way. And we've all taken the wrong way at times. C.T. Studd is a preacher decades ago. He would quote a poem in his sermon. He would say, some people like to live within the sound of a church or a chapel bell. But I'd rather, live, I'd rather run a rescue shop within a yard of hell. We understand what he's saying, don't we? Because we know people like that. They're the kinds that they're tuned into those kinds of people. And they reach out to those kinds of people, always looking out for the lost. And I think Jude is kind of reminding all of us to be more that way. To think about those who are needing mercy. They're going through a time of doubt. Those who need to be snatched back from the fire. Those who need to receive mercy. To prayerfully pursue them by name. We've been talking about that. To lift them up, regardless of where they may be spiritually. See, to me, the question today for this, then how do we snatch others back from the fire? How do we do that? Are there people within your sphere of influence, your neighbor, your friend, your co-worker, somebody in your family, that God has put you in their path and that you can prayerfully ask for the moment and the time to say the right word, to lift up Jesus to them. It may be this season, this time of year, where they, their antenna, their spiritual antenna may be up to hear the word, to think about those things that are spiritual. 
This may be the very time to invite them to come to church. In fact, invite them to come next week to hear Michael Bowen speak. Everybody needs to hear Michael Bowen speak. Invite them. Make the most of every opportunity. It may be that they are extreme rebellious sinners. Or maybe they're just self-righteous. Maybe they're good people who are just discouraged and they've lost faith. Maybe they've never heard about Jesus. And to think you might be a part of bringing them out of the darkness. When you think about that dominion of darkness, sometimes, again, that can be the extreme of sin and degradation, but other times it could be a Christian who's weak. They turn the wrong way. They're in a moment where they need some help. Sometimes darkness is just like these people in Colossae where they're confused. There's a lot of thinking out there. And it sounds good. Everybody else seems to be buying into it. And we can be confused. We make the gospel into something different than what the word teaches. Jesus came to rescue us. And we didn't know that. And then one more reason Jesus came that the text mentions. He came to redeem you. He came to redeem you. Look at Colossians 1 verse 13 and 14. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. So Paul points out that you can be redeemed through Jesus, through the blood of the Lamb. You can be forgiven. If someone were to ask you, why did Jesus come? Forgiveness, redemption would be at the top of the list. And when somebody is redeemed, what that means is the bought back. That a value is expressed Worth is expressed. The book of Hebrews reminds us that without the shedding of blood, there can be no forgiveness of sin. And we understand that. We understand that punishment for wrongdoing, even young children understand that. When one of their their siblings does something wrong, they call them out. They tattle because they want them to get a punishment for wrongdoing. But in our minds, it's not the innocent. And again, even a young child gets that. It's not them. They're innocent. They don't deserve the punishment. It sounds so counterintuitive. But that's why Jesus came to be born, began his life as a baby, to live a perfect life, not to sin. But we want to sacrifice the perfect person. We don't want to punish the one who's innocent. But the Bible teaches us through his pure life, His perfect life. He was that perfect sacrifice. And that's the only way our imperfections can be paid for. Look at Romans 5, verses 7 and 8. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous man. Though for a good man, someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were sinners, Christ died for us. For those who put their trust in Christ, he redeems He forgives, gives us a fresh slate, a fresh start. I try to think, explain what this is like. What does this mean? And to me, the best example I can think of is is a time in, in Jesus' ministry. Remember when Jesus was in the garden? He spent time praying. And then this detachment of soldiers came to arrest him. Now, never in his public ministry was he carrying a a weapon or in any way going that way. And yet they came to him in force and you remember in that moment they came to take him and Peter gets caught up in the moment 
The same Peter who just earlier said, that even if I have to die with you, I'll never forsake you, in the moment, grabs his own knife, you remember this, and chops off the ear of the servant of the high priest Malchus. Both Luke's Gospel and, and John's Gospel gives us the details of what happened next. Jesus scolds Peter. It's not why I came. That's not the way we're going to go about this. And then Jesus does something amazing that only God in the flesh could do. He reaches up and touches the ear and it's healed. You go back and read the text. He doesn't say he reaches and finds the the piece that's cut off and puts it back. He reaches up where the ear was. There was no ear. There was nothing And he made something. That's who he is. That's why he came. And he's going to do the same thing for each of us on the day of judgment. When we stand before him and our life is there and it's in the book, all that we did, everything you've ever thought, everything you've ever done, things you would not want everybody in here to read or hear, he looks at all of that. That's something. And he sees nothing. Because it's buried in the depth of the sea. It's as far as the east is from the west. It's covered in the blood. That's the miracle. That's why He came. Because all He will see is not my sins, but Jesus. And that's the difference that Christ makes. That's why He came. So that we could have hope who took the form of humanity. John chapter 1 is a beautiful chapter that describes what was going on in the incarnation. And it's a beautiful chapter to read. But in verse 14 it says specifically, The Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. That's from the NIV. The message paraphrases that to say, God moved into the neighborhood. Now that's not what the Greek says, but that's what the Greek means. He came to live among us. He moved into the neighborhood. He's next door. He's one of us. And why did He move into the neighborhood? To qualify you. To claim you. To rescue you and to redeem you. That's why He came. To prove beyond the shadow of a doubt that He loves you. He didn't come because He's scared that you're going to go to hell. He wanted you to come to heaven with Him. I read about a story about a young family that lived out west. They were having some extreme troubles in their marriage. The wife especially, just being married, being a young mother, it was more than she could deal with. She talked about just getting away for a little while. So the husband wasn't surprised one morning to wake up and there was a note beside him in their bed. She had gone. He agonized as he read the words, but he thought, well, maybe, maybe just giving her some space would be good, so he didn't follow her. But he did call her every day on her cell phone. And he would say, I love you. We miss you. We need you to come home. And every time she would take the phone call, and sometimes on those calls he said that he could tell she was crying, but she still wouldn't come. Christmas was getting close So the young father felt desperate. He hired a private investigator. They tracked her down. She was at a low-budget motel in a bad area of Las Vegas. Not the best place to be. Not the cleanest room. She felt about as lonely as she could ever feel. And there was a knock on the door. 
She cautiously went to the window and looked outside. Her heart just skipped a beat when she saw that it was her husband. She opened the door and this time fell into his arms. They went home, had a good Christmas season, but after the holidays, the, direct, the decorations were put away. The kids were back in school. The husband had to ask the question. All those times I called you and I told you I loved you, I told you we missed you, I begged you to come home and you wouldn't. Why? Why did you come that finally? And she said this, you told me you loved me. You told me you needed me. But those were just words until you came. Think about what you know of Scripture. God for centuries and centuries would send a messenger, would send the word from God, who He is and what He wanted of His people. And He did that through His prophets. And people listened, or they didn't listen. Or they listened for a while, and then they turned their back. So rather than just hearing another prophet, God demonstrates His love for us by coming Himself. God coming in the flesh. And you don't do that unless you love somebody. You don't do that unless to you they have worth and, and value and meaning you don't do that unless you want a relationship with Him. And this is the God who came in the flesh. And this is why the words of those shepherds mean so much. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Let's pray. God, we are familiar with the story of Jesus coming. Maybe we're so familiar that we've lost a sense of awe that you would leave heaven through your Son and come to earth to be born of humans and to live as a human and yet never give in to sin to make a way of salvation for us. Father, may we never lose the glory and the, the wonder of the incarnation. Because sometimes we get off the narrow path. Sometimes, even as Christians, we don't always say yes to you. And Father, I pray that you'd help each of us, wherever we are. Maybe we need a fresh start and head in the right direction. Maybe we need to confess that Jesus is Lord and put him on in baptism. Maybe we just need encouragement. Lord, remind us all that you came for all of us. Through Jesus we pray. Amen. Today, if you need salvation through Jesus, we have the water ready. If we can pray for you, won't you come as we stand and sing?